Blog Talk Radio. Here at From the Heart Radio, and the founder and CEO of Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing underprivileged children with basic necessities of life. 
I'm also a board-certified integrated holistic health energy psychology, positive psychology, and energy and vibrational sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where From the Heart Radio streams to you live each and every week, bringing you optimistic and uplifting information from interesting people, people who are making a most positive impact in our world. And today, we have Dr. Stephen Post, who has joined us in the past, and it's such a thrill to have him back again. Dr. Post is the author of the bestseller, When Good Things Happen to Good People, God and Love on Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of the Human Connectedness, and most recently, Dignity for Deeply Forgetful People, How Caregivers Can Meet Their Challenges of Alzheimer's Disease, which we'll be talking about in April. Dr. Post has worked at some of the country's most prestigious medical centers, and he's the founding director of the Center for Medical Humanities, Compassionate Care, and Bioethics at Stony Brook University School of Medicine in New York, where he also serves as professor of family population and preventative medicine and head of the Division of Medicine in Society. Dr. Post is a really a rare blend of a scientist, a professor of medical humanities, medical chaplain, and metaphysician. He, like Albert Einstein and Nobel Prize laureate Sir John Eccles and others on the leading edges of science and medicine, acknowledges the human experience and openly explores the frontier of the mind and idea of a unitary intelligence that pervades everything, what he calls the infinite mind, an idea that's threaded from antiquity through the present which philosophers, physicians, physicists, pastors, poets, and others throughout the ages have observed as well. And according to Dr. Post, there is a chorus of agreement affirming a universal one mind that subsumes and unites all individual minds. He is also the president of the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love, which he co-founded with philanthropist Sir John Templeton in 2001. This institute studies and distributes knowledge on kindness, giving, and spirituality, and that is our topic for discussion. So, Dr. Post, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking time to be here yet again. It's such a pleasure to have you join us on From the Heart Radio. How are you being? My, I'm being fine, and it's absolutely spectacular to be with you again. It's nice to hear your voice and to experience your positive vibes. <laughs> you are so kind. I love having you on. I remember the last show was wonderful, and I'm sure this will be just as good. You know, we, um, I, I remember reading your last book, and, and, you know, you've written so many inspiring books. They're each spiritually moving. They're filled with wisdom. They're thought-provoking, and they really come from the heart. And, of course, this month our theme is love, so happy Valentine's Month, everyone. And given that, our topics are all about love, but a lot of people think when I say that I'm talking about romantic love, and that's just not, we kind of specifically steer away from that because it gets so much, you know, press. This is about universal love, the importance of consciously living from the heart, from a place of love in all areas of life, and striving to be aware and present in how we live and allowing love to guide us. You are the co-founder of the Institute of uh, for research on unlimited love, which is an organization whose groundbreaking mission is to increase public awareness of the growing dialogue on unlimited love. This to me is huge, and it's so very much needed. Probably 
more now than when you started it 22 years ago in 2001, which you started. I, I want to make sure people are aware of this. You didn't start it after 9-11. You were doing it in June of 2001. So it was well before the attacks. So it was needed even before that. And since then, it's been needed much, much more. How did you and your co-founder, Sir John Templeton, come to start the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love. What was the catalyst for that? You know, I met Sir John. He was a great investor, but he was also a tremendous spiritual thinker. And he was uh, the first funder, by the way, of positive psychology. Uh, Marty Seligman's Institute at Penn mm. was set up and, and funded by Sir John. He just He had written a wonderful book called The Worldwide Laws of Life with wisdom positions and, and discussions of things like kindness and, and forgiveness and gratitude and all the things that you talk about. And Sir John wanted somebody very high up in the scientific world to be able to bring uh, the methods of science to study these really great human assets. Uh, and uh, I suggested to him, as did a few others, that Marty Seligman wanted to get away from learned helplessness in dogs and do something really constructive. So the two of them got together at a at a luncheon in Philadelphia. I happened to be able to be there. And at that point, positive psychology was born. That was about 1998, uh, um, actually. And then that next, uh, the summer of 2000, I was in Philadelphia uh, with uh, – Chick sent me high, who'd written Flow, and oh, and yeah. all you know Bob Emmons, who'd written the book Thanks, and all these great people who were the pioneers of positive psychology. And Sir John, he just felt that nobody really had a chance in life if they didn't know about these things. You know, Chick sent me high. I just died last year. I was so sad. I was so yeah, sad. Yeah, he, he was a great guy. I actually knew him at the University of Chicago, where he taught psychology and where he wrote flow and i had some interactions with him way back in that period but what a brilliant guy and really mystical too because when you you know this t love when you get in those flow states and mm. you know and you're so wrapped up in your music or or just uh caring about somebody you love or uh writing or whatever it might be uh you you lose sense of time and place you're you're in a different world, and and that flow state is so is so mystical, and it's so it's so deep and profound, and he understands and critical, that. yeah, and critical and to critical. our existence. Actually, you know, I think I did not know that uh, Sir John Templeton was working with Marty Seligman. Now, I I'm a positive psychology practitioner, and I got my certification through the Flourishing Center in New York, oh. who worked mm -hmm. with Marty Seligman, and, and she earned her degree um, from him. So that's really interesting. I, I had no idea. I thought Marty Seligman came up with this all on his own. I had no idea that Sir John Templeton was part of it. That's very cool. Well, Marty, Marty and, and Chris Peterson were, were, were the absolute yes. gurus of it all, but, but, the, but the funding and the support all came through the Templeton Foundation, and it came because Sir John wanted to get away from disease as the reigning model of investigation. He wanted to, to get away from the disease model, uh, which is not unimportant, and it's great in a medical setting. But what about the great assets and strengths and virtues that can help you get through life with a smile and with great verve and promise? That's not negative. That's positive stuff. 
Yeah, and what's out there today with everything we, we see, you know, I run a kids organization and we're trying to help them with mental health therapy right now for parents who can't afford it. We're subsidizing the fees so that kids can, can get the mental health therapy that they need. I mean, as of today, there have been 73 mass shootings in this country this year. This year. Now, we're only in it. Today's the 15th, right? So 30, 46 days in, we have 73 mass shootings. That means anything four people are over. It doesn't mean under four, and there's been many, many more. So I look at that mental health, and I think, okay, mental health is one thing. Mental being is another. And what we're trying to do in this world, I think, is to help the kids so that they can build the resiliency that they need, have you know, self-efficacy, and be able to learn how to struggle well, right? So I look at your brochure and I see unlimited love and that's really the core the basis of it because it's not unlimited love just for others it's for yourself as well am I wrong mm-hmm. in believing that or am I reading this properly <laughs> oh it's for yourself as well you know um, as you said earlier we're not talking about romantic love we're not talking about necessarily the love of designer jeans or chocolate although I like chocolate right. But we're really talking about yeah, – good. I'm glad to hear it. Um, I mean I, 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 take, I, I take love to be um, the, 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 uh, the sense that the happiness and the security of another human being is as real to me as my own or sometimes even more so. But my own self-love is in there. It's not ignored. Right. And, 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 and we need to raise kind – Children. That's the great challenge. You know, I mean, that's you, you look back on your life as a parent, and it means so much if your if your children turn out to be kind. But what can you do to make that happen? And 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 so we funded a lot of research uh, on how to raise kind kids, and that whole movement was, uh, in fact, really partly spawned through the institute and the Fetzer Institute. We worked together, but we wanted to make that a absolutely central area of study so parents would be thinking about it ahead of time and there are some really cool practical easy techniques that have been uncovered yeah a ton of them and and they're being taught in different places but it's not widespread enough so your organization and others that are similar and i don't know that there are any that are that are like this but others who are trying to to raise that awareness you know, are really trying to put it out there so that we will have kind children because today is worse than it was 20 years ago. We didn't have the Internet. We didn't have 24-7 bullying. Right. Kids were bullied at school, but then they got to go home and there was a safe haven. Now it's 24-7 and it's nonstop, and you see this on TV every night on the news. There's something else, and you're just consumed by it as well as everything that you see online. And, and that's what I think makes it so difficult for children today and for parents to try to teach them because yeah. the parents of today didn't go through what the kids are going through now. This is all brand new, right? Yeah, they don't have any background in how, how to control all of this. You know, I went to college out in Oregon, Reed College, and Steve Jobs slept on my floor, just FYI. <laughs> and and uh, uh, we even took a course together called Alchemy 101. I know you won't believe that, but sort of the history of science and and quantum physics. He was an interesting guy. And, you know, he never let his uh, daughter uh, spend a lot of time on on computers, even though they were around for at least her teenage years, because he wanted her to have real interactions. He was afraid that somehow she'd get so hooked up into a kind of a matrix reality that isn't the Mm. real reality of, 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 
embodied encounter. And, 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 and he felt that that was a very serious problem. So when she went to Harvard and when she got there, of course, she was doing a lot of things with computers, but, but he tried to keep her away from it. And, uh, he would prefer uh, to to read uh, the autobiography of a yogi with her. <laughs> mm, <laughs> you know, yes. re- read it aloud and form community around those ancient truths, which are so deep. That's such a great book, you know. And when yep. he died, you know, at his funeral, he made they made sure that everybody who came had a copy of that book. Uh, oh and, wow! <laughs> and not not a computer, but that book. Right. He wanted he wanted he wanted real interaction with all of its subtleties and depth and spontaneity and and he didn't want people just to be living in this kind of a of a of a matrix world and and unfortunately it's it's not at all bad don't get me wrong but it, it has to be controlled very carefully well yeah and unfortunately he was right you know because it really has come to that in many many ways i mean i know that people will laugh at me all the time because i don't have one of those magic phones i don't text i don't know how i choose not to learn i don't go on social media the people who take care of it it's like you take care of it i don't want anything to do with it i don't have my own personal <laughs> facebook account or anything like that i don't it's overwhelming and when i'm talking with people who come in to see me you know on a professional basis this is the first thing i ask them is how many gadgets are you hooked up to what are you listening to? What are you watching? When it's so overwhelming for adults. Imagine what it must be like for children. And, you yes. know, that's hard. That's hard. But your group, you know, you have unlimited love. And you have a way of, of uh, explaining it. So I'd like to ask you if you would let us know what is your definition of unlimited love? Uh-huh. So, you know, Sir John he used to fax me. Sir John didn't. He's, he's like you. He did not like to email much. He was too old. He was probably in his late eighties when when we were doing a lot of things together. But um, he um, he loved the fax machine. He thought it was the greatest contraption ever made. So he used to fax me three or four really important letters every day from Nassau, from the Bahamas, and. Um, <laughs> And, 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 and he sent me this incredible uh, uh, note, and it said, Stephen, we have to study the greatest asset in human experience, mm-hmm. unlimited love. And I, uh, I faxed back, Sir John, uh, that's a great idea. Um, maybe, I said, we should call it creative altruism because altruism is a little bit dry and a little bit sciencey. And he faxed back, no unlimited love up to $8.9 million. And I faxed back, Sir John, I love that language. You know, it jumps right <laughs> off the page. That's what you would have said, you love. You know, oh, you yeah. exactly the same thing. Yeah, just, and, you know, he was so right because it was conversant with all the great spiritual traditions. So, you know, his view and my view has always been since I was an adolescent that we're not just talking about human love and human emotions. We're talking about something that is really ultimate reality uh, that underlies the whole universe, this energy of love. And, you know, there, there, there are these beautiful experiences that people have. You know, the poet Austin, he was just sitting on a lawn at Oxford one afternoon, and he didn't know the people he was around, but he, he felt invaded. He speaks about invaded. His mind was invaded by this sense of complete and total infinite love for everybody around him. And that sort of experience, we actually wrote a book called The Heart of Religion with Oxford about eight years ago. After a national survey, it turns out that 80% of Americans, they may not go to church, 
They may not go to synagogue, but 80% of Americans have had that feeling at least once. And about half of that number have had it quite uh, more frequently. And there's about a 10% that feel that way all the time. So there are people actually walking around to you, love, you know, who have this sense of powerful, universal, spiritual love. Um, and, 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 and it makes them all more compassionate and more caring and more devoted. And they often have a sense of calling. So that's what unlimited love is. It's not just it's not just human love. It's because human love, honestly, you know, I love human. It's, you know, I've been married 40 years, love my kids. But I know um, when I was raising them, sometimes I screamed. Can you believe that? <laughs> you know, it's hard to be a completely scream free parent. If you're honest, you know, you try your best. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, you make mistakes and you feel badly about it later on. But and, and, you know, human love is sometimes ineffective. It's sometimes myopic. You know, you don't have a sense of a shared humanity. Uh, sometimes it just kind of flickers uh, on and off. Uh, it doesn't endure. But this love we're talking about, unlimited love, is completely wise and completely present and completely universal and it even underlies the basic realities of of, of material existence. So that's and what unlimited love is. Yeah, and it can be learned, and you can practice it because, and I, I'm pretty sure I can say this with, you know, I don't know. I, I there are times more recently, I'm going to say within the past three years since COVID started, and, and we're still in that realm of whatever that is, uh, this new normal that isn't normal, but. Since then, there has been so many things that we've seen, and if you just truly look at whatever it is, when you're speaking with somebody, if you look in their eyes and you see their soul, if you really look for it, you'll feel that. You'll feel a soul Mm -hmm. connection with that person, and I have felt it many times with people, and these are not people that I'm, you know, that I know well. These are just people, and the way, whatever the discussion is, the talk that you're having, you can see within them, and you can feel a connection, and when you walk away from that conversation, you start to look at everything else a little bit differently. You start to look at things with more compassion and kindness, and you can pull that out. Now, I'm human. I'm going to get upset. I'm going to have, you know, moments of when I don't like something or somebody ticks me off completely. You know, that's part of being human, right? But the mm-hmm. fact that you can be aware and present and know, okay, now I have to step back and, and forgive myself for whatever it is I just felt about this person, the judgment that I made. I mean, there are times I'll say, well, now I'm judging. I can't do that, you know? And it just, you feel, it, it's a sense of love that you feel within your own being that you can then put out and share into the world. Am I making any sense? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, but, you know, and, and, and so we try to be self-aware of our thoughts and our emotions and where we seem to be getting off course. Uh, we try to set ourselves up. I do in the morning anyway with mm-hmm. some meditation, and I try to be mindful and even envision uh, over the course of that morning half hour. Most of the people I'm going to encounter over the day in this big medical complex, and I know some of them – you know, I, I direct a program. Some people um, need some compassion. Some need some forgiveness because they've made a medical mistake. And someone needs to say to them, uh, those who make no mistakes make nothing. Uh, you know, people have so many different needs. And I try to imagine those. And they're all expressions of love. Um, you know, I, I have a, a word called carefrontation. 
that that uh, is different than confrontation in tone and in substance. But sometimes you you best uh, uh, promise you can you can offer somebody is to keep them more or less online with who they really want to be. Don't let them stray from their own integrity. So you're always operating in love. But nevertheless, here's my confession to you, lover. Are you ready? Sometimes <laughs> after that experience, I will drive down 25A in Stony Brook. And there's a, there, yeah, you, you, you have to turn left at this light. And if you don't make that light, you're stuck for 15 minutes to get into this medical center. And 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 I have been known. I know this is the truth because I've done it. To if if a, if somebody stops unnecessarily at a yellow light, I am capable of falling full chested on my horn, and not necessarily yelling an expletive, but you know it's it's close. So you know we're not perfect. We're not perfect. No. But we have to try to set up our hearts so that we are receptive and and able to connect over the course of the day with everybody we meet and and that's the that's that's what makes life worth living yeah and you know we all do that right i mean you can't help it you're you're trying to get somewhere and somebody does something and you think okay that was really stupid why didn't you just go or whatever it was you we have those <laughs> moments of course but the thing is bringing yourself back it's kind of like meditation people will tell me i can't meditate it won't work it's like meditation is not being in that space all the time. It's being aware and, oh, I'm thinking about something else. I need to bring myself back to the present moment. That's what meditation is. So this is the same thing. I love your word, carefrontation. I am going to steal it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a chapter of that, of that name, of that title in Why Good Things Happen to Good People. And yeah. I was at Case Western Med for 20 years, and M. Scott Peck had studied uh, there and he'd gone on to an illustrious career in psychiatry and he wrote the road less traveled. So we were good oh. buddies because he would come back for alumni events and and I have a long uh, set a number. I have a lot of letters between the two of us and we actually together coined the word carefrontation because we didn't think confrontation. You know, it's too abrupt. It's too divisive, mm-hmm. um, and we don't need that in our in our world. We need carefrontation. No. You yeah, know, it's more civil, it's more generous, it's more loving. Yeah, we live in a very, you know, challenging world that's becoming more and more so and divisive. It has just become so divisive over every little thing. Nothing is, is sacred anymore. You know, everything is just a challenge. And yeah, we need to be able to to speak with people with care. I mean, I just called somebody the other day and I was explaining that there was an appointment that day with a specific doctor for and she cut me off and yelled at me and said, no, he's not in today. And I thought, okay, wow, I don't know what kind of day she's been having. So I just waited till she was done. And I said, for a specific test. And she said, oh, okay, we do do that today. So instead of yelling back at the person saying, you didn't even listen to me, which would have caused a lot of problem on the phone, she took a step back because I took a step back and said, for a specific test. And she said, oh, okay. So right there, that was carefrontation that could have been confrontation in another on another phone call with somebody else. Yeah, you stepped back, you were emotionally intelligent, and it worked out. And in general, that's why I like to say it's good to be good, why good things happen to good people. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'll tell you this, because you're a psychologist. You know, we did a study of uh, widows and widowers who had been happily married for a long time, and now um, they're grieving because they've lost their, their loved one. And uh, it turns out that the people 
who can self-report that they have been helping in their neighborhood or through an organization. It could be a spiritual group. It could be the hospital or whatever. But people who are, who are helping others with kindness, especially that factor, um, they get over the bereavement uh, more quickly and in a more enduring way. So I got a call, believe it or not, from this New York Society of Widows and Widowers. They were having an annual meeting at one of the hotels in the middle of Manhattan. And I went in there and I gave this talk. And I talked about all the internal benefits of kindness, you know, that you just prosper. You will, you will flourish in kindness in ways that you never will if you go down that negative vortex of hatred and, 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 and uh, bitterness and hostility. So the, uh, and afterwards, I, I, I asked if, if there were any questions. And there was a guy in the back of this room. It was a big uh, uh, ballroom, and he was frantically waving his hands. And he said, I don't care what you say, buddy. I don't do nothing for nothing. <laughs> okay. And because well, so, he was in the pay it back modality. He was, he was only going to be generous and kind if he knew he was going to get it back in a measurable way. But what you're talking about is much freer and it's much better for you. Yes. Yeah. So you can live in a state of expectancy, but don't expect anything. Expectancy is different, and people don't understand that, that when you expect somebody to do something, it's different than being in expectancy because expectancy is that you're just going to feel good about what you're giving and putting out, and it's an expectancy of just, you know, okay, it feels really good. I'm putting it out, and they're loving it, and I can see it, and that's great. It's not expecting to get somebody something in return, and I think sometimes people mm-hmm. confuse that, you know. But, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's funny. It is true. Uh, the more we put out in the way of goodness and serving, serving others, volunteering, mm-hmm. being grateful, the more comes back to us in that same way, in that very same way. It's not going to come back as negative. So, yeah, that's no. a really important, important point. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, you'll laugh at this because you're, you're, you're in New Jersey, and uh, so you know Route 80. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, when I came here from Cleveland, which was 14 years ago now, the first night I was with my wife and then my my 12 year old son, and we were in a kind of a, a not so great hotel right along the Long Island Sound with some mildew in it. And my my son realized he wasn't on the soccer team right then, and my my wife was getting angry about the move, and 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 it was the worst night of my life. <laughs> and and so I said, you know, the only thing I can do, because we're here, I'll go out and get a pizza. So I went out on the road, <laughs> and I went to Little Joe's Pizzeria. And in the foyer of the pizzeria, there was a newspaper that I'd never seen before. It's called the Three Village Herald. It's like all along the north coast of Long Island. And there was only one headline. It said, Unlimited Love Comes to Stony Brook. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Some cub reporter has sort of dug up things from the news and 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 various venues and 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 she'd even interviewed the dean of this medical school who's a kidney surgeon and my department chair and they were actually great. They said, "You know, we don't know too much about unlimited love, but if, you know, that's okay because we think he can teach the students how to be empathic and good communicators and that's what he likes to do in the, in the daytime." So it worked out well. And then the first time I'm coming up the escalator in this medical school, there's this very well-known biochemist. 
And he's looking down at me on the escalator, and I don't recognize him. And I said, sir, do I know you? And he looked at me, and he said, are you Dr. Post? And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and then the first words he said, are you going to save us? <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at him, and I said, well, I'm not sure of that, but I'm going to do my best to be you know, a good faculty <laughs> member. We got along fine, but, but that was – but you know, it's in life. Sometimes bad things happen, and you have to expand the canvas. It's like, a, like an old Jackson Pollock painting where he throws a lot of mud down on the floor. But by the time he's covered it up with all these beautiful lines and vibrations, it's a thing of beauty. And so you, you, the, the, the trick of life and the trick of love is that you've got you've to expand the canvas and, 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 and make something into beauty. Yes. And that is done a lot in this world that we are not aware of because that's not what we see on the news every night. But right now, it's time for our what I call our Soji Share. This is where we share stories about kids from all over the planet who, you know, they're not just filled with hope, but they're motivated, they're creative, focused, passionate, and they want to make a difference in the world. So our goal at SojiKids.org is to spread joy, hence our name Soji, which is an acronym for sharing our joy intentionally. And this week... Our Soji share is a young lady named Amelia Lissau. When Amelia was eight years old, she started searching for a way to volunteer, but that didn't really go well because she was constantly being turned down by every organization she went to due to her age. But she was very persistent and she didn't want to give up and she didn't want to wait until she was older. So she started thinking, you know, how can I volunteer and do something by herself? So she came up with a nonprofit that she started in 2019 that has donated over 6,000 nightlights to foster children in uh, 75 counties in Arkansas, where she lives, all 50 states in the U.S., and three European countries. She she did an awful lot. Now she's 10, and she was inspired to start Lissos Lights after her mother, who volunteers with foster children, told her that when the kids are removed from their homes and they're placed in foster care, they you know, have to leave in the middle of the night and sometimes without any of their belongings. So Amelia thought having a nightlight could help the kids who are finding themselves in a new situation to feel less alone. And she said that whenever you're in a new home, you're in the dark and you feel kind of scared. So the foster kids may not know who they're with and they're in a completely new house that they don't know. So her feeling was a nightlight would help them feel less scared of the dark and more comfortable at night. So Amelia's mother who was also the nonprofit's president, said she wasn't surprised when Amelia told her she wanted to start what she calls Lissos Lights because volunteering has been in her DNA pretty much since she's been born. Now, Lauren, the mom, often brought Amelia and her brother along with her when she was volunteering at the Arkansas Food Bank's monthly family night. And she said that Amelia understands those kids on a kid level because she is a kid. And to her, the fact that they're foster kids, it doesn't carry the same stigma that it does with some adults. They're kids who are hurting, and Amelia wants to help them feel better. So Lissos Lights hosts packing parties every couple of months where friends and other volunteer organizations and sometimes even other foster children will get together to pack the nightlights into their boxes and make handmade cards to go with each and every one of them. And Amelia loves seeing all the people who come to volunteer. It's very rewarding for her. She loves seeing whole families join in. And just last year, 
she held a princess party for girls in foster care. And Amelia hosted the party, which included cupcake decorating, dancing, and an American girl doll for each attendee to take home. And this year, they hope to hold another tea party as well, but they also want to do an outing at a fire station for boys where they will receive Lego sets. And Amelia said, you know, seeing the reactions of the foster kids makes her really happy inside, and she likes being happy. And whenever she gets those reactions, it makes her feel really nice, and volunteering just does that for her. She also loves it when people ask how they can help. And she says she's inspiring them by being a leader and showing them that they can really do anything if they put their mind to it. And she just wants people to know that you're never too young to make a difference. She says she feels the impact of her work the most when she hears from organizations who put her lights to use. And then she told us that she heard about one boy in Oklahoma who never turned off his hall light, not because he was scared, but because he wanted to make sure his little sister was always doing okay across the hall. And when they got their nightlight, he knew she wouldn't be afraid anymore. I mean, I, I listened to that and I was like, oh my God, what a wonderful brother. This is so moving, you know? So when we hear things like this, we know there really is a lot of good happening in our world and our children are leading the charge. They're coming up with these ideas on their own. It's also you know, this is the good stuff that Soji focuses on and chooses to share with everybody every week. Our children are making this world better and more joyful, not just for themselves, but for everybody, for all of us. So kudos to this week's Soji share, Amelia Lissau. I just, I loved that story and I, I wanted to bring her to the forefront because she really is coming from her heart and I thought it fit well with this show. What do you think, Dr. Post? <laughs> Well, that is such a great story, and Soji is such a great organization. So Amelia is 10 years old now or a little little more? Yeah, I think she's like um, probably 11 at this point, yeah. Yeah, she's young. I mean, she's, you know, she's not yeah. even a teenager, really. <laughs> yeah. so, 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 you know, it, it's just incredible. Her parents are clearly, you know, pushing the right button, and that the volunteer as a family is incredibly important uh, for raising kind kids. What a future she's going to have. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the studies say that there's really two things to raising kind children. One is volunteer as a family. Do things that are meaningful. Um, do them with kindness. Uh, let the parents be role models to their kids in terms of helping others. That's really, really central. And the other thing is have a, have a kind of a, um, a, a value statement that, you, that you, you've agreed on between parents and children that just has maybe six or seven words like kindness, forgiveness, generosity, um, whatever it might be, gratitude, uh, and, and just put that somewhere uh, in the center of the home, maybe in the kitchen, uh, you know, uh, paste it up to the refrigerator or put it over the fireplace or whatever it might be. And when there are issues that come up, and they do with, with kids and parents, and sometimes the parents, uh, you know, they, 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 they lose a little self-control, and sometimes the kids do too. But you come together around that cultural center, and, and, and you discuss things. You talk about things in light of those positive values. And that is so important because it creates a kind of a culture. And the world around you, right, I mean, it, it, if you if you just look at what's being told and the narratives coming across in the media and so forth, it's just such relentless uh, negativity and and mm-hmm. harshness and cruelty. 
Um, yeah. But you have to, so you have to work hard in your home to create a cultural center that you can you can use as 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 the as the as the as the, as the way to develop conversation and constructive answers to problems. That's really so. So volunteer as a family, and that's what that's clearly what um, Amelia's family was doing. And also, you know, have that have that statement of your values. Call it a kind of a credo, and uh, and just work with it, and and let it answer a lot of the problems that you would otherwise not have answers to. Yeah, I think volunteerism. When you're giving, you get so much back in return that you don't even expect. That it just. It, it it just it moves you in a different way. I mean, I volunteered from the time I was little. I volunteered for a nursing home. I was nine years old. You're going to love this. I volunteered when I was nine years old, and all summer I went every single day to this nursing home, and they'd have me wheelchair people out and talk to them and play games with them, or they'd have me bring them their meals and feed them. I mean, I'm nine, right? So now school starts in September. I can't go every day. I go on the weekends. Two weeks into the start of the school year, my mother gets a letter from Sister Angelica. I'm sure she's not with us any longer. But wow. Sister Angelica sent my mother a letter that said, we have to fire her because she's not here all the time, and we need volunteers we can count on. And my mother showed me the letter, and I remember I looked at her and said, I have to go to school. I'm nine. <laughs> I, like, I couldn't believe I got fired from a volunteer position. And I don't know why that didn't stop me from volunteering, but it didn't. <laughs> it didn't. I've been volunteering for different things all my life. Why? I mean, really, that should have stopped me dead in my tracks. A nun fired me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Back. Well, I still have the letter. <laughs> you should keep it. You know, I, I have it. I like yeah. to say everybody should get fired at least once because it kind of makes you focus your attention. <laughs> but, I mean, not more than that necessarily, but once is once is okay. Once is enough. <laughs> Uh, but, but it not sounds at like nine you know from a volunteer position. I gotta say, yeah, I agree yeah, with you, but yeah. not you know, in different circumstances. Let's say that, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it sounds it sounds like you put your heart into it, and and that's the thing to to say about volunteerism is that um, it, it's it's really kind giving that's important because you can get into volunteering, and sometimes it won't last because it gets kind of routine and you're going mm-hmm. through emotions. And it's, I mean, all the literature on volunteering just says, you know, to engage your whole self and also to debrief with the people who are around you so that you can talk about what this does for your life and why it's important and why it's meaningful. So to bring in all that emotional uh, positivity is so important. And it sounds like you did that. And it certainly sounds like Amelia does that. So that's, oh, yeah, that's she does. key. That's key. Yeah. That's really yeah, great. Yeah, she she was feeling what the kids could feel and she's not a foster child, but she saw it and her heart went out. And mm-hmm. you know, that's, it's, it's like when you see something on TV, you know, you're not, you don't love these people across the world who are having issues with earthquakes and tsunamis and stuff, but you feel compassion and that's what co- connects all of us. And I think the cause needs to, needs to resonate with you in a way where you feel compassion for whatever that cause is. And that mm-hmm. allows you to really feel more into the volunteerism because if you're just volunteering and you're, you know, picking up the basketballs, but you don't know anything about basketball and you're just there to do it, you're not going to get anything yeah. out of it. Yeah, such a good point. You know, we have, uh, we have a lot of volunteers in this big hospital and, and uh, there's a, a whole office to facilitate their success and some of them are teenagers, some of them are older folks. 
And they come in here and they have a booklet and they can choose what floats their boat. They can choose where they want to volunteer in the hospital. And they can also uh, decide on what kinds of activities they feel that they would be good for. Some of them want to do an activity that they already are familiar with and have confidence, but others just want to do something completely new because it's a change. And the thing is, you know, if they then they they do this and then they have an opportunity to get together over uh, coffee at the Starbucks in the in 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 the foyer in the entrance, or they have monthly uh, meals together. That kind of coming together and sharing the beauty and the meaning and the value of this is incredibly important. So how you manage um, volunteering is a big deal. Uh, and uh, I think that's something to understand because if it doesn't work out, and it doesn't always work out, um, you know, someone's lost an opportunity. And managing it, knowing how to manage it, knowing when you need to stop. For instance, I volunteered mm-hmm. for uh, um, pediatric hospice for a lot of years. That's not mm-hmm. easy. It wasn't easy for me, but I knew I wanted to do that. And they'd call me all the time because other people just wouldn't show up. They couldn't take it. They couldn't do it. And then I remember one day I just completely broke down in the parking garage. I was a puddle on the cement floor of the parking garage in New York <laughs> City. I was like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the nurse came out and she said, we need to have you back. And I said, I don't know if I can con- continue to do this anymore. And I did it a few more times, but then COVID came up. So it was gone. And I haven't gone back because I knew that was something I had to do for a while and felt to do and wanted to do. But right now yeah. I think that there are things that I can do that somebody else could take over. So you have to know when you need to get out and it's okay to get out. It's okay to do your part and find something else. And that sometimes I think is hard for volunteers because they feel stuck and you shouldn't feel stuck because then you're not, you're not getting the, 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 pleasure out of doing as hard as that is to say the pleasure out of the volunteerism uh, whatever reward it gives you knowing that you're helping somebody regardless of the circumstance you know in a way that that is beneficial it makes you think like wow I I think I did something good for this person it makes me feel good to know that I was able to help them so it's okay to to back out and find something different it sure is and yeah it, it is important and you have to feel called to what you're doing um you know, um, and sometimes, you know, you, that you, you've pretty much exhausted that sense of calling and 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 it's it's time to move on. And, and that's perfectly normal and acceptable and good. Uh, and otherwise, it just becomes, you know, duty and it becomes dry and it loses the music and, and, it and you might work resent anymore. it. And you might and if resent you start, it. Re- yeah, if you start resenting it, it's good for no one, not you and not the other people that you're helping because you're resenting it, your attitude isn't there. It's, you're not giving off that, that vibration of positivity that you need to be giving off to help people, you know, and that makes a huge difference in how it's received as well. It, it sure does. And so it's kind giving, kind volunteering. I like to emphasize that. And by the way, you know, there have been these studies now of, service-based learning in the high schools they, and that began in like the mid 1990s and and it turns out there's sort of three groups um there's one group that that's a little bit like amelia they just take to volunteering with kindness and and energy and love um like a duck to water and that's about a third of these kids these are 12 13 14 year old kids and there's another third that they don't, you know, at first they're kind of going through the motions and it's required of them. 
But then as they get into it, a light turns on and they realize how beautiful this is. They start to experience, you know, elevation in mood and happiness. And, and so they, they really do well. And then there's this final third, and they're a little bit kind of, you know, recalcitrant. They may, they may not really have the light turn on. Uh, hopefully they will a little later in life. Maybe they need some good role models, some different opportunities. Uh, maybe they're just not there yet. But um, no question that, you know, some people really just take to this so naturally and oftentimes it has something to do with their with their family situation, and then some people have to come along a little a little later. Uh, but it all works out, and they have benefits. They're healthier, they're happier. As you look at them in midlife, they live a little longer. They don't have as much depression or anxiety. They're, they're, they flourish. They have flourishing lives, and they find meaningful professions. They find you know like you have. They find things they want to do in life that are really valuable for them. And I think that that's probably a really good first step to begin the process to live an unlimited love is to volunteer. And you don't, and, and if you have trouble with that and think, well, I don't have time to volunteer for an organization, then maybe people could practice volunteering at home. And I don't mean volunteering to do chores, but volunteer yourself to say when there's something going on and you want to attack, you want to argue, you want to you know, not give the other person their space, but say you're wrong. Volunteer to step back. Vol- teach yourself to step back and say, you know, maybe I can just look at this a little bit differently. And the more you do that, the more you practice that, the more you get better at it. And then you will be able to see that because you're not wasting time, you know, living with the drama, uh, being in resentful or, or vengeful or anything like that. You're making things work better within your household or at school or at your job. Those t- Does this make sense? It, it's like volunteering yourself oh. to make sure that you're not, you know, that you can do this. Oh, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And there's, there's so much good stuff now about the workplace and, and how uh, people thrive at work when they're compassionate with their colleagues, mm-hmm. uh, when they're forgiving, and, 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 and when there's a certain kind of generosity of spirit in the workplace. The idea that the workplace can be successful in any other way, it's just, you know, you're, you're going to have attrition. People are not going to be as creative because when you're in these emotionally more positive states, people are naturally more creative, and that's absolutely scientifically demonstrated. So, so you know, the, wh- wh- if, you, if you back into these negative zones of, of uh, hostility and rumination and bitterness, it, it, long run, it, it'll actually kill you. There's a book. Uh, called Anger Kills, which is a very well-regarded book, and and they they were looking at people in their at the age of 25 who took the this thing called the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory. Don't remember that, but but um, <laughs> it's about 300 questions. I took it once, and 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 this this fellow in the 1990s, he looked at people who were taking that way way back in 1950, and he he, he found 27 questions that were indicative of hostility. So quickly ag- angered, uh, prone to expletives, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And he called that the hostility scale. And the people who were in the high 25% or high quartile on hostility had a 20% uh, 
death rate by age 50. The wow. ones who were low hostels had like a 1% or 2%. And what were the, the high hostels dying of? Vascular disease because they were under the, the, the stress of these negative yeah. emotions. And it's converting their uh, metabolites into fatty acids. Uh, it also causes some hippocampal uh, shrinkage in the brain, which is a good marker of potential of future Alzheimer's disease. So you, 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 you want to stay out of that negative zone. And the best thing you can do, which is exactly what you're talking about, is just, okay, go out and help somebody. Because when you help them, you forget about your bitterness. Uh, yep. You forget itself and the problems of the self, and you're freed. And, and, and it, it just it's the most powerful way of getting out of that that uh, that uh, shadowy realm that if if it if it's not controlled it can ruin your life. Yeah, I think too that if you don't like the word practice, you know, like practice, I'm going to say practice carefrontation, practice carefrontation, but volunteer to do it. Volunteer yourself to make sure that you're mm-hmm. practicing carefrontation, and you'll get good at it. now. You'll get really good at it, and you'll be able to handle things a lot better, and things you will forget about the things that are that are not so great in your life, you know, because there's always something to be thankful for. There's always some good that comes out of everything. But I wanted to mention, you know, your book, Why Good Things Happen to Good People. I remember reading that a long time ago. I think you wrote it in like 2007, 2008, something like that. Yes, um, yes, yes. It has all those, all, well, similar questions. And I remember there was the way of compassion, um, the way, it was all the ways of, the way of compassion, the way of forgiveness, the way of creativity, all these questions that you can answer within your book. Is that similar to the test yeah. you were talking about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the way of loyalty, uh, you know. Yeah. So for me, for, for me, I mean, to be honest, a lot of people get a little bit antsy about using the word love because they don't, they don't think of it quite the ways that we're discussing it. So, right. So, so, so that book has this core idea of love, you know, is, is when the security and happiness of another is as real to you as your own, that works. No ancient language, no Greek, no Latin, no, you know, whatever. Uh, it, and it just makes sense because if you're getting together at Starbucks with an old friend who's had a hard time, you know, you're, you're, you, 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 it works. If you're Mother Teresa, if you're uh, Cicely Saunders, you know, helping people in a hospice, like you know, as you were doing when you were younger, you know, you feel that way, uh, and and it's 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 so powerful. Uh, so that's the thing you want you 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 know, love itself is a little bit of a difficult word for people, but if you took it, look at the expressions of it, um, just simple helping activities, um, um, uh, you know, being being kind and grateful, um, going a little out of your way to volunteer. Uh, just uh, being, I have a chapter there on mirthful. I think, I think being mirthful is, is important as an expression of love, you know? Yep. So, you know, during the COVID thing, I came into this building like every single day and uh, it was, you know, there were, there were these, these nurses in the hallway at the entrance and they were, they were checking temperatures and they were there like all day and it was so boring and, and, you know, they couldn't get out of there. And so I would just pop in, and and like they got used to this, and I would give them dad jokes, like you know, what does the <laughs> fish say when it swam into the wall? Damn! And they just crack up laughing, or you know, 
things like that. And and I I, I think mirth is a is is a gift of love. Not I don't mean unkind mirth or diminishing mirth. Right. I mean just uplifting humor. I was doing that this morning um, with the pediatric residents, and you know it just it, it helps them. It, it in a millisecond, uh, you know people can turn their whole attitude around with a little bit of mirth. And so a lot of people of great love in all the spiritual traditions, you know, they've had a kind of a mirthful quality about them. And I think that's worth thinking about. And there's not enough mirth in the world right now. Have you noticed? No. No, have, have you noticed? How can you not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's unbelievable. Everybody's it's at sad. each other's throat. It's so sad. Yeah. They're at each other's throat. And, and, and you know, it, 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 so, so, you know, I, I, I was intervening with some people uh, a few weeks ago, and I, and, and I just wasn't getting any place. And I say, hey, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just begin this with a little bit of mirth. Um, um, what did the envelope say to the stamp? And they looked at me like I was crazy, and I said, "Stick with me, and we'll go places." And then they all <laughs> cracked up. And after, after, in that second, that that millisecond where they were laughing, all of their their negative thought went away and they be, they opened up and they began to connect with each other and talk about how they were coping with some challenges clinically and in other ways and it was beautiful they formed a community but it took mirth to get them there to get yeah and whatever works right and that's a good one you know i think that um people there's not a lot of good stuff in the world that we're hearing about. There is plenty of good things happening out there. We just mm-hmm. aren't fortunate enough to have reporters and news stations telling us about them. We have to seek them out on our own or listen to things like this where we can talk about things that are, you know, that are good that are happening in the world. And, you know, it's just not on all your streaming channels. I mean, everything out there or the, whatever the kids are playing on those, whatever they are playing on, <laughs> it's, you know, it's not really good. So the more that you can put the the mirth, the humor, the positivity into things and just take that step back. Take a moment to breathe before you respond instead of just react. Start to do that. Then you're giving unlimited love in whatever the situation is. So I'm going to ask you one final question because we're getting toward the end Please. of the show right now. Okay. 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 I think this is an easy question, but people, people don't. Do you think love is hard? No. Neither do um, I. <laughs> no, I don't. I, but 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 I but I I think it has to be rooted in, for me anyway, a certain kind of spirituality, and practice. Um, you know, I I mean I, I'm an early morning guy, and all the old rabbis from you know centuries ago they said the best time to meditate. Uh, and pray a bit is very early in the morning mm-hmm. because the world hasn't woken up yet. Uh, nobody's been screaming. There have been no honking horns. And um, you're not caught up in time running from point A to point B to point C. You know, uh, you're, you're, you're kind of in the moment. And it's a great time to be meditative and to sort of envision the day. So that's that's what what I do. And it's very effective for me. Because obviously there's so many pressures. Uh, I mean, I have a really busy job, and it, it's not easy. Um, but um, by setting myself up early in the morning, setting that tone, um, 
it makes a big difference. I mean, later in the day, you know, it's okay to take a minute and just kind of try to get back into that space. But um, you've got to cultivate a kind of inner peace. And, and if you do that, if you connect with that universal mind that you were talking about at the beginning, you know, that one mind and, and, mm-hmm. and realize our oneness, if you, if, you, if you do the spiritual piece of it, then natural, it's easy. Because when you love someone else, you're not, you're, you know, you're also loving yourself. Right, right. And I agree with you 100%. I'm an early riser and meditate, yoga, or workout, mm-hmm. and then start the day. It helps to set the tone for the day. I also love it when it's thundering lightning and I can go downstairs and play my crystal bowls. And because the energy is so huge when, when there's that much electricity in the air. Or when we're having a snowstorm, which unfortunately on the East Coast, we have not had one. Everybody's loving that spring is coming. I'm like, I really would like a major snowstorm, just one major snowstorm. Because Me too. Me when, too. when it's snowing at night, it's so quiet. You can go outside and listen to the silence. And unless you've done that, you don't understand what I'm saying. But you have to listen to the silence and you can hear the snow softly falling. And it is such a beautiful sound. And it's so meditative. And that right there is just like love in action. The snow is clearing the energy of the area. It's, it's beautiful to listen to. It's beautiful to look at. I just love that. But when I ask people, you know, when people say to me, love is hard, I'm like, love isn't hard. It might not be simple, but it, but it really is. It really is easy. It's, you know, it's, 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 you can do it. And cherishing (laughs) nature. I'm totally with you. I mean, so we had about four inches of snow like three or four weeks ago I was so grateful. I was running around Mm -hmm. just being happy and everybody was surprised, but I said, I love it. You know, it's so refreshing. And, and, and the thing about the beauty of, you know, cherishing nature. So we're so caught up in uh, the technology. We're so caught up in the screens. We're so caught up in, 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 in just the fast pace of, of work life. You know, you, you've got to, you've got to mix spirituality and nature and if you go to any kind of a meditational center you know you hear the little uh chimes you hear the wind blowing you you know the little water is streaming down a rock you know and that's because there's something really special and truthful about what you're saying t love you know that 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 nature is a gift It, it it really is a divine gift and if we can see it that way and not just rush by it um, you know, I must tell you, when my kids were growing up, we would drive on Route 80 from Cleveland uh, to New York because I was out at Case Western, and and it's a good long drive. And 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 my my kids would be locked into their um, their little hand devices, and I would say, Hey, look, that's the Delaware Water Gap. That's Mount Tammany. And, and look at those cows over there. And I would be so enthusiastic, and, and I'm not sure it rubbed off, but we, we, we're, we, we, did, we did great. And actually, they're, they're both nature lovers. And, ah. and I think connecting with nature is, is such a spiritual and, and valuable practice in itself. So grounding. It puts you it, – it, it connects you to everything you can feel the connection being made when you're out going for a walk and you feel so good when you get home you know or even just sitting outside watching nature it is such a good healthy thing to do and uh Mm -hmm. you know in all of this unlimited love and this is all falls under the umbrella of love and love is a very healing emotion it heals 
unbelievable. There's been studies on that, that, you know, love can oh, heal yeah. in a very strong and big way. And yeah, that's just, it's a really cool thing to just be able to know that if you just practice a little, putting a little bit more love mm-hmm. in your life in various ways, things will get better. And it doesn't take a lot and it isn't hard and it doesn't take a lot of time. Dr. Post, we are pretty much out of time. So I'm going to, I'm going to say that, okay, the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love, if anybody wants to learn more, they can go to the website. I think this is correct, unlimitedloveinstitute.org. But that is before, correct. That is correct. Yay. <laughs> but before we go, um, please tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and your work and where they can purchase any and all of your books. Well, you know, I think that, you know, given this conversation, I mean, the, the best thing really is um, – um, why good things happen to good people, how to live a longer, happier, healthier life by this simple act of giving. And, um, and then this recent book uh, with Johns Hopkins, Dignity for Deeply Forgetful People, which we'll talk about next time. That's yep. been my, my volunteer focus for 35 or 40 years. And it's been wonderful. And I've gotten so much from it, but I've also been able to work with so many forgetful individuals and their caregivers and help them to recognize the value. Nobody's a husk. Nobody's a shell. Nobody's gone. They still have underneath all of that, a kind of eternal presence. And, and, and I really do believe that. So, so, you know, at my, you know, my, my personal website, Stephen G And, uh, you know, I just Amazon or wherever people get books is fine. <clears throat> But uh, I'm very happy. You know, I'm 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 working every day. I I don't get sick. I've never <laughs> I work around doctors every day, but I don't I never wind up needing doctors, although I have the occasional physical. And it's just because yeah. I really believe the message of you know, um, if 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 you're helping others, you 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 really help yourself. It's just inevitable and and simultaneous, and it's all one. And, you know, of course, things go wrong from time to time, but um, but there's so much beauty in in giving and it's and the benefits are so clear at every level, uh, physically and mentally, uh, emotionally. Uh, and so this idea that, well, I don't do nothing for nothing is just a way of, <laughs> of, 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 you know, I mean, that's the culture. That's the message that yeah, some of the is. culture sends. And, and we have to get rid of that. We absolutely do. And the only way to do that is to have guests like you on the show. And I thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure to have you on once again. I'm really looking forward to April as well. (laughs) Well, T-Love, it's so so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. And good luck with your amazing work with these kids and with all these wonderful, inspiring uh, families. It's a beautiful thing. Well, thank you so much for that. Okay, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on From the Heart Radio, so share it with your friends. You know, we live in a challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why we have the guests that we do to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. So this is where you find the tools to make sure that you know how to live a life and navigate it easily. This is what our purpose is. This is where you find the tools to do that. So please share the good news by sending the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they can learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. 
On behalf of everyone here at From the Heart Radio, I'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in. My name is T-Liv, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at From the Heart Radio. Please follow us on Twitter at Soji Huggles. While you're in your social media accounts, please be sure to like us on Facebook, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation. And our From the Heart Radio thought for this week is from Pierre Telhard de Chardin. A universal love is not only psychologically possible, it is the only complete and final way in which we are able to love. I am your host, T-Love, here at From the Heart Radio, intending you and yours a most enjoyable week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.